behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept, and neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. <laughs> Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv starts now. What have you got on the best shows ever? There is no business like show business. It is good to be back with a brand new podcast along my co-host who needs no introduction, Vivian Kelly. Hey, Viv. Hi, Jake. I love how you said I don't need an introduction and then proceeded to introduce me. Uh, So I guess that's proven to be false. But here we are. Welcome. Plenty's happened in the last few weeks since we recorded the final episode of our old podcast, Radio Today Tonight. I sold a business. You lost a job. I had a bush turkey flying to my home and shit everywhere. You got bitten on the boob by a crab. And uh, we both signed a podcast deal with Potshape. Yeah, look, it would appear that we are both at war with nature. You're now richer, I'm now poorer, but at least we're fighting fighting nature together and that's what matters. Is it fair to say we do share a, a love-hate-love relationship as well with the uh, media and entertainment industry in addition to nature? Yeah, look, I'm really excited that we're broadening the scope of what we're going to be talking about to encapsulate not just radio, not just audio, but TV, the record labels, the live entertainment sector and... Uh, Uh, It just means there'll be more people for us to entertain, but also more people for us to upset Jake. And I think we might be uh, ready to do that with this episode. Speaking of uh, upset listeners, even before this episode dropped, it appears we have one fan who is utterly disappointed with this podcast. We've already got a three-star review on Apple. Are you aware of that? I'm not aware of that. Is that from my (laughs) mum? I don't know. Well, look, that's disappointing, uh, but it must be uh, one of our many, many uh, existing fans. Although three stars, it's a pass, you know. At university, 60%, three out of five, that's a pass. It's okay, I'll take it. This week on That's Entertainment, headlines that hurt behind the campaign to tear down 10 amid a very public battle for ratings and the unfolding talent wars playing out in the tabloids. That's entertainment. Why Australia's live entertainment sector should be paying very close attention to the Travis Scott Astro World tragedy that left eight dead and hundreds more injured. That's entertainment. And what this week's radio ratings tell us about the talent shake-up still to happen as the networks play their annual round of radio roulette. That's entertainment. Plus, later in the show, from Sasser. Australia's Sam Burgess to Big Brother's Katie Hopkins. In this week's Hot Take, our first one, we explore the problematic culture of giving tarnished talent a primetime platform for public redemption and revival. All right, first up, behind the campaign to tear down 10 amid what is a very public battle for ratings uh, and the unfolding talent wars playing out in the tabloids. There's been some very bad headlines for 10 over the past couple of weeks. Yeah, there have, and some really scathing statements as well. You know, there's questions about whether it's got a future as a viable commercial network. Now, whether or not those questions are justified, we'll come to. Uh, But the rival networks are definitely sort of 
capitalizing on this momentum against 10. And when I was reading these headlines about how the project's in trouble and The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are in trouble and 10's owner Viacom CBS in the States might be questioning its investment and questioning its future, I started to think, where is this coming from? Like 10 has always been the third placed commercial free-to-air television network. It has never tried to win total people. It has always gone after the under 50s. So it's no surprise that its overnight viewing numbers are falling as audiences fragment and catch up on BVOD and 10 play and whatnot. So I just started to think something's a bit sus here. Why this? Why now? What's happening? And what is driving this anti-10 narrative? Some of these headlines are shockers. TV Black Box uh, reports audiences abandoned 10 in droves. Uh, the Daily Mail is, you know, 10 in crisis. Uh, the Sunday Telegraph, rumours of cuts at the project's ratings plunge. Television has quite a horrid history and a bad habit for tearing each other down, something that's akin to the media industry more broadly. There has been pushes previously to try and tame this. Uh, Why is it all falling apart now? Look, I'd say they played nice for a while and then they've just gone back to what they know best, which is backgrounding on each other uh, for the benefit of themselves rather than the benefit of the wider industry. A few years back, there was a concerted effort by industry body Think TV, which is a body charged with telling marketers television is a safe, effective and the best platform to advertise your brand, to reach consumers and to do it well. They told all the TV networks to stop backgrounding on each other, stop planting negative stories with journos, stop pointing out that this show has fallen 37% year on year. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships. We want to tell the story of total TV. We want to talk about the TV success story, not TV's decline. A sort of changeover in personnel, some different CEOs, and that message finally started getting through. They refused to send negative numbers, even if journos chased them. They stopped doing all these background calculations and opening up their spreadsheets of terrible ratings numbers. That seems to have stopped now because this narrative against the project and this narrative against Channel 10 is not being driven just by journalists. It journalists is being driven by rivals. When you and I started talking about this week's episode, uh, we started to speculate, of course, on what might or who might be driving uh, all of this bad press for 10. We've since obtained a copy of an email uh, sent by a very senior TV executive to a number of journalists, uh, which very clearly details this sort of numbers comparison of the project uh, today versus 10 years ago or when it first launched in 2011. Uh, he surprised by this? I'm not surprised that it's happened. It was my instinct straight away that this was being driven by a rival. Uh, They've got all the numbers. They've got all the data that they need. And I started to think maybe it had something to do with Lisa Wilkinson and Carl Stefanovic because Lisa's book has come out, which sort of dredges up ghosts of co-hosts past. You know, it's talking about her conflict with Carl, the gender pay gap. She's sort of, in a way, using her story with Carl to sell more copies of her book. Carl is therefore not commenting because he knows anything he says will just fuel sales of Lisa's memoir. And I thought, oh, maybe this is Nine's subtle way of turning the narrative around, turning the anti-Carl narrative around, turning the anti-Nine narrative around and just sort of subtly pointing out, yeah, Lisa might be at the project now. She might be happy. She might be on more money than her colleagues now, but the show's not actually rating that well. That was, that was my instinct, but it turns out that maybe I'm not 
correct. Yeah, like I said earlier, we have seen an email sent by a senior TV executive that doesn't look like it's come from any of the publicists working on the breakfast TV show. So this appears to be a bigger, perhaps more of a corporate uh, a corporate messaging push by at least one of the networks to uh, Tarnish 10 and particularly the project. Yeah, and again, 10 would normally stay quite quiet on this. They are positioning themselves even more so now than normal as the brand safe network, the progressive network. You know, they are leaning into having Brooke Blurton as a bisexual bachelorette. They're talking about more diverse casting. They're asking marketers and media agencies to put more pressure on the other networks to do the same, to stop giving platforms to the same types of people to reflect the diversity of the Australian population. But even they are clearly quite upset by this anti-10 narrative, which isn't really a surprise. And, you know, they say that comparing 2011 with 2021 isn't fair. I mean, any TV ratings that you do with a decade gap, it's going to look pretty catastrophic. The, The market has changed. The way people consume media has changed and 10 actually did issue us an official statement to sort of refute refute these claims and put their version of the story forward. Recent media reports inferring that the project will not be on 10 in 2022 are completely fabricated, false and misleading. The project has just celebrated its 12th birthday and is here to stay. At a time when information, context and understanding is more important than ever, the project will continue to provide Australians with their dose of news delivered differently. As you say, 10 don't normally comment and Carl has remained pretty tight-lipped during all of this. There was a great moment on the Today Show, I think it was towards the end of last week though, when uh, a politician by the name of uh, Peter Dutton was uh, was on. That was quite a classic Carl moment as well. Yes, well well, Peter Dutton was talking about the ghosts of his colleagues past uh, and various uh, former Prime Ministers, former leaders writing tell-all books, uh, you know, going behind the curtain of Australian politics, if you will. And uh, when being pressed on those issues about what it's like having all these, you know, not even armchair experts, but former experts talk about what's really going on behind the scenes, he sort of threw back to Carl about what it must be like. Uh, Look, Carl, I I think it's actually, if I'm being truthful, I think it's sad. I mean, you see examples, uh, you know, in politics, uh, even in media, I mean, where some people lose their jobs and uh, they go away, they're bitter, they're disaffected. Uh, you know, some of them, like Malcolm, even write books. Uh, and, you know, they're more, more you know, fiction than fact. Uh, and that's... Uh, Good to talk to Carl, you guys. You? Uh, have a... <laughs> oh, yeah, great to talk to you. Have a great week. Have a great week. <laughs> have you ever thought about writing a tell or book? Uh, well, I have one week uh, left employed with you, so I guess you'll have to find out uh, about that next week. Moving on, still to come, why Australia's live entertainment sector should be paying very close attention to the Travis Scott Astroworld tragedy that left eight dead and hundreds more injured. Travis Scott's Astroworld Festival ended tragically last Friday when a massive crowd began pushing towards the front of the stage left eight dead uh, and a number of people, hundreds in fact, uh, in a very bad state. A lot of young people too, 14 to 27, in terms of those who lost their lives. We now hear that there is, a, I think, a nine or a ten-year-old in a coma. Uh, it appears that it's probably the biggest crowd control disaster, at least what I've read, since 1979, an incident uh, when the Who were performing and 11 people were killed. What do we know about this? Look, there is still so much uh, misinformation and confusion 
out there about what caused the surge, who might have been responsible for allowing things to continue once word was spreading that people were in distress. What we do know is that there were 50,000 people at the event at Energy Park in Houston. Uh, They didn't have crowd surge protocols from the 56-page event operations plan that, that has come out. So they had plans for other events uh, in terms of, you know, an active shooter or changes in weather and various things like that. But there was not a crowd surge protocol, which I think goes a really long way to explaining why we're hearing all these anecdotal reports of things being reported to security, things being reported to event organisers and things carrying on for 37 minutes after it was declared a mass casualty event. If you don't have a plan, if the people around uh, you aren't informed on what to do in that situation, that's when the cracks are going to show. And that's when it can turn into, you know, something where people are injured to something where people are dying on a mass scale. I woke up on uh, early Saturday morning, I opened up Twitter, which is never a good idea. But I started uh, to see that Astro World was trending and clicked on the video tab and started to see some incredibly distressing and confronting footage from uh, from on the ground. Uh, and as you say, a report sort of suggests that there was no protocols for a crowd search, which blows my mind because they really are incredibly common, although they don't result in deaths uh, anywhere near as often as, say, drug usage at festivals. Uh, it certainly causes a lot of issues. Uh, and already concert promoters are struggling with insurance and that sort of thing after the pandemic. And I think it's a really stark warning to Australian concert promoters, especially because we know after two years of, uh, of lockdowns and shutdowns that a lot of really great talent, including grassroots crew and road crew uh, who carry decades of experience are no longer in the sector Uh, and you've got to wonder how they're going to fill that skill gap. Yeah and as I say that's another thing that can just compound the issues, slow things down, slow down the decision making and cause things to be so much worse. Experienced roadies have decades of experience and know what to look out for. They know what to do. They might have seen a tragedy before or they might have been able to stop one before. If it's your first day on the job, understandably, you don't want to be the person to tell this worldwide superstar on stage, hey, can you stop, please? Someone out there might be injured. It does interrupt the flow and there is no profit in safety. So if you're wrong and you're new and you're inexperienced and you're not willing to back yourself on that call, you probably won't be listened to, but you're probably not even going to make the call in the first place. Experience here does a lot. Being properly resourced says a lot and planning will be really important. And if there's no one to plan and if there's no one to execute these kinds of things, then Australia will be at risk of things going wrong because as much as there's crazy conspiracy theories out there at the moment about what might have caused this or what might have been the trigger, really simple things can cause crowds to surge. Something as simple as rain can cause people to surge as they run for cover. Something as simple as hearing a whisper in the crowd about someone having a weapon, even if it's incorrect, can cause people to surge. So the industry needs to know what to look out for. This event did have plans related to weather, but then didn't go that step further to having plans for, well, what goes wrong if that weather causes people to surge? They had plans for an active shooter, but not what would happen if people then mass 
ran away from the shooter and caused a surge. So Australia has a lot of lessons to learn here because it's not just about something crazy or something conspiratorial or a gun causing a surge. Drops of rain can lead to tragedy if you're not properly prepared. We're also talking about a major concert promoter here. In fact, the world's largest. This is Live Nation. Uh, The next thought is around crisis communications and how all this unfolds because, as we already touched on, this played out on social media, particularly on Instagram and Twitter in real time. Do you think it was handed well from a media perspective in the aftermath? I think a huge part of the problem was that, as you say, Jake, everybody was getting their information from Twitter. In 2021, events like this will be filmed. There will be distressing, awful footage of people begging for help, of people gasping for air, of people trying to stop a situation that ultimately the event organisers proved incapable of stopping There will be so much accountability now because not only is there anecdotal stories, there's video footage to back up those anecdotal stories. So I don't think it's been handled well because these conspiracy theories have been able to take off. Everyone's getting their information from social media rather than from the event organiser themselves. There's already a lot of backlash about the statements that have been issued and whether they're apologetic enough, whether people getting refunds for the event will suddenly waive their legal rights to uh, sue the event. They're really looking like the bad guy here, not just for the tragedy that unfolded, but people are already predicting they're going to be the bad guy if it comes to some kind of class action. And that's because they haven't positioned themselves as the good guys here. And that's where it's headed. I mean, we've seen story after story and even reported on some uh, ourselves via the music network of the myriad of lawsuits that are now uh, now pending against Live Nation, against the artist being Travis Scott, uh, his co-collaborator on stage at that given moment, which was Drake. Yeah, and of course people are going to want to take action. You know, I know that America does love to sue people and we like to make fun of that here, but you know, eight people are dead. And when you go to these things, you do expect a reasonable level of safety, particularly if you're sending your 14-year-old child there or you're with your 14-year-old child there. It's not unreasonable to expect that you can go to a festival and come home alive. So I think uh, Live Nation needs to be really careful how they navigate this because as much as they obviously need to protect their rights and they don't want to pay out anything unnecessarily, they have to remember that eight people are dead and if you fight that too much, you're really going to look like the big evil corporation. Right, still to come on That's Entertainment, our hot take, but up next, what this week's radio ratings tell us about the talent shake-up still to happen. Well, the seventh radio rating survey is out for 2021. Still one to go, Viv. Uh, not the most exciting book of the year. That's not uncommon uh, as we edge closer to December. What we are starting to see, though, is a lot of trends. And uh, on top of that, I guess we're starting to get a picture of which shows are performing well and which ones aren't. And as a result, what might happen in terms of talent uh, shake-ups as we get nearer to the end of the year and as the networks get ready to announce their lineups for 2022. Yeah, look, it's definitely the Hunger Games season for radio and I don't think we're done with talent lineup changes just yet. As much as Dave Cameron, the Chief Content Officer of Southern Cross Stereo, has repeatedly said that he will continue to back the Today FM Breakfast Show because the evidence is that changing, chopping all the time doesn't work. 
There's obviously ongoing speculation about how long that show can last with Dave Hughes based in Melbourne and with that show pulling the ratings that it's pulling. There's also sort of question marks over Fitzy and Whipper on Nova Breakfast in Sydney because they've been on air for 10 years now. They're pulling a 4.7% share. Today FM Breakfast has a 2.9% share. They're low numbers and as much as the networks say they don't all want to be number one, you know, slow and steady uh, wins the race, you want to be getting higher than a 2.9, you want to be getting higher than a 4.7 and it just fuels that speculation about what further change there could be. Alan Jones could potentially be back on the market, although we know there's a non-compete around the breakfast shift, but do you think it's possible it'll appear at perhaps 2SM or maybe on the listener app? I thought given that I just talked about Today FM Breakfast, you might be asking me if it was going to be Alan Jones for Today FM Breakfast in 2022, which would be a wildly hot Take. Uh, Look, Ben Fordham, uh, who replaced Alan Jones on 2GB Breakfast, has said if you think Alan is done, then you don't know Alan. I suspect he would love to come back. He's clearly not done. You know, he didn't want to go onto the uh, Foxtel News product Flash. He wants a big platform. He wants the influence. He wants the power. And I would argue he's a better audio broadcaster than he is an audiovisual broadcaster. I think he's better on radio than on television. If he can get a spot, he'll get it. I suspect it won't be uh, on Nova 96.9 or Today FM in Sydney, but I'm sure if he can get a spot on 2SM or somewhere else, then he'd take it. Now, you've already been talking about the radio ratings this week on another podcast being unmade with Tim Burrow, so I, I won't make you relive the entire survey but what was the biggest takeaway for you from this book I know I cheated on you with my former former boss it's all getting very podcast inception over here uh look the key takeaways uh, for me were today FM breakfast still being low on 2.9 it was stable so that's that's something but it's just something that people are absolutely going to keep watching The other interesting thing, obviously, is that Mick Malloy from Triple M has announced he's leaving that drive program, which leaves a huge hole there uh, that needs to be filled. So will that be filled internally or is there going to be another show movement? And then I think something that's probably uh, a bit disappointing, really, is uh, the Marty Sheargold show in Melbourne on uh, Triple M Breakfast there. You know, he is a very, very good broadcaster there are bits of that show that sound fantastic and should be resonating with audiences and as much as the fm stations down there will talk about how it's an unusual book and melbourne was on its 1000th lockdown of the year i do think that show should be pulling higher ratings than it is i think marty is worthy of higher ratings than that so i'm not really sure what's going to to happen with that show because uh i think marty for sure would definitely be wanting higher than a 3.6 percent share no doubt about it and so will these bosses uh it's an interesting time because i think we're we'll start to see a period where talent budgets really start to shrink and if talent aren't performing uh it'll just be a cut and replace sort of scenario uh and like we said marty's not cheap uh what they'll do in drive 
will be interesting. Uh, I mean, my theory is that perhaps Fitzy and Whipper will go in there and Kate, Tim and Joel will appear on Nova Sydney Breakfast. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, look, that's definitely something that people have speculated when Mick Malloy announced his departure. It wasn't a huge surprise because it had been Kennedy and Malloy with Jane Kennedy. She then sort of abruptly announced she wasn't coming back at the start of this year. Dave Cameron said he was going to back Malloy's solo vision and that the show would have legs uh, without Kennedy. We don't really know what went on there in terms of Mick deciding to depart, but, I mean, that's a very big role and, and when it when it was announced it was free, a few people did start to say Fitzy, as in Ryan Fitzgerald from Nova 96.9 Breakfast in Sydney, would be a really good fit for that at this stage of his career. And then if Sydney Breakfast on Nova became available, I mean, it would be Kate, Tim and Joel that you would put in there. Again, though, that leaves another opening in the radio roulette in terms of the syndicated Nova Drive show should Kate, Tim and Joel leave. So as I say, I just don't think we're done with with all this movement. There's very unusual happenings in Melbourne, you know, very low results for some very strong stations. Fox FM having a 4.7% in breakfast that low result for Marty Sheargold, even Christian O'Connell, the number one FM breakfast show there, an 8.6. You know, that's a show that should be above a 10% share. So all the shows are suffering down there. Hopefully next year there'll be a bit of a reset, a bit of a recalibration, and we'll get a better picture of which shows are resonating with Melbourne and which ones perhaps aren't. I think uh, whatever show Mike Fitzpatrick and Dave Cameron put into Drive and perhaps any of these uh, lineups and shifts as they change will tell us a lot about talent budgets going into uh, next year as well. We also now know that Nova Brisbane won't be replacing Kip Whiteman, who really was, perhaps didn't have the biggest voice or share of voice in that show, but he really was the glue. Yeah, I have spoken to Paul Jackson, Nova Entertainment's uh, Chief Programming and Marketing Officer, a number of times about how four people is a lot on a breakfast show. And I did always suspect that if somebody left, they might not replace them. As as you say, Jake, budgets are really important at the moment and paying four people in such a tight radio market is a big ask. They're all, they've all sort of been number one. You know, you've had Stav, Abby and Matt be number one on B105. We've had 97.3 and 4KQ up there as well. So having somebody leave like Kip, as as great as he was and as much as he added to the show, he sort of has openly said that he thinks he might have been coasting a bit lately and, you know, he, he wanted to leave and, and do something different. So it gives that show a chance to, to reset and sort of see if it can remain at the top of the ratings with just the three of them. The question now is, of course, where will Kip go, if anywhere at all? Well, look, he did say he was going to spend time with his family and that's such a difficult one to speculate on because if you question it, you look like a bit of a dickhead, but so often it is used by people to buy themselves some time before they announce their next media gig. So with that one, I think we'll have to to wait and see. But there's so much movement to come that honestly, uh, there could be far more shuffles than just Kip uh, around the corner this year. Perhaps the biggest radio rumour of the week is unfolding as we record this uh, on uh, Wednesday afternoon. And that's around Lawrence Mooney and his absence from Triple M Sydney Breakfast. Let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, We know he's been off air and there are rumours that he won't return this year or at least uh, next year. What are you hearing? Look, the thing I think that's interesting about this is that he is the namesake of the show. It's Moon Man in the morning. It's Lawrence Mooney. He does have Chris Page and Jess Eva there, but it's not the Mooney, Jess and Pagey show. It's Moon Man in the morning and he has been absent this week 
and it's only been addressed with a throwaway line by Chris Page at the start of the show, seven minutes past six in the morning. Welcome to the beautiful Jess Eva. Lawrence Mooney isesn't with us this week, and then they move on. Uh, SCA has been issuing quite vague statements to the media about how he's not on air at the moment. There doesn't appear to be a timeline. There doesn't appear to be a reason, which of course leads to wild speculation in the press and in uh, radio chat rooms and radio group chats. And the speculation does seem to be that there's perhaps some off-air tensions and it's not quite clear uh, when he will be back, if at all. I think it's no surprise that SEA's put Mark Geyer in that show. He'll be there two hours a day. Do you think they'll maybe build something around him? This sort of Mark Geyer coming in was really interesting timing because I'd already heard speculation about the future of that show and the dynamic of that team. Of course, we had Chris Page disappear from that show earlier, but then he came back and sort of talked about how, you know, when radio hosts talk about exhaustion when they talk about needing a break, they're in rehab. You know, that was his take on it. I have been in a rehab facility for alcohol addiction and I didn't want to do what so many people do because it, it, it really bothers me, um, particularly anyone in the media yep. or anyone in the public eye. You will often read about someone taking extended leave for exhaustion. Um, that's crap. If someone says they're taking leave for exhaustion, they're in rehab. So that show has been through a lot this year. It also has had some ratings struggles, so it's no surprise that they'd want to shake things up, bring in a much-loved personality, and it also gives them less key person risk uh, if Moon Man does leave. Again, that's a show sitting on a 4.6. Very talented, very prominent broadcasters in there should probably be doing better than a 4.6. If they've also got off-air tensions or if there are problems, as is being speculated with Mooney at the moment, it's no surprise they're bringing someone in to sort of shake that up. All right, up next, our hot take of the week. That's entertainment's hot take. All right, before we dive into our hot take of the week, this wasn't the first uh, the first uh, segment name that I put forward to Viv. I, I thought it should be called the Kelly Report or the Kelly Refiles, but you shut me down. I did shut you down and uh, as this is just an audio medium, I'll just explain to everybody that I just did a massive eye roll at Jake's uh, suggestion there. So, no, it's not the Kelly Report. It's not the Kelly Files. It's uh, it's not about me. It's not about me, Jake. It's your podcast. You can insert yourself wherever you like. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. But, look, I think that this will be sort of about uh, – it's, it's not just me that thinks this, you know, in terms of what we're talking about this week. This has been a wider media conversation about TV networks' right responsibilities and, and the ethics of putting certain people and giving them a platform, giving them a chance to redeem themselves and what that sort of says about television, what that says about the types of people that they're willing to endorse and if they should be doing more to think about their sort of moral responsibility. Is the problem here the chase for ratings or are the networks just running out of uh, talent with so many reality shows that they've got no choice but to put these sort of... Uh tarnished talent in. Look, I mean, I wouldn't be that forgiving of the television networks. They know what they're doing. And I spoke to one uh, sort of TV person on, on background and they actually said, you know, they love it every time there's a petition against a show, whether it's Married at First Sight, whether it's SAS Australia. They love it when people get outraged and upset and try to force the TV network's hands to change. So it's a really difficult position if you're an outraged consumer because you want to let this network know that you're upset about the people that they're platforming. 
But when you let them know, you fuel media coverage for that show. And it's sort of a bit like the Lisa and Carl debate fueling sales for Lisa's book. You feed into the media narrative, you feed into the media circus, and you can almost help drive more people to that show to see what the outrage is about, which ultimately helps the TV network sell more advertising to more advertisers and talk about how many people are watching this show, which further justifies them putting these problematic people on there. So it's a really, really difficult one to balance. But in the case of SAS Australia uh, on Channel 7, they've gotten blowback for having the likes of Sam Burgess on there who has accusations against him of violence and various uh, family issues. And it's giving him a platform that then gives him that redemption arc where then he gets to talk about his side of the story, what might have gone wrong, That then gets all these newspaper column inches. He gets to sort of show a softer side of himself and the people who are allegedly victims of his behaviour don't have a similar platform to to have their, their say. And I think that's the core of the issue is... We can have a redemption story. It just doesn't need to be uh, someone that problematic or someone that, you know, is still in the headlines for potentially violent behaviour. Why do they need to be the ones that we platform and and give a redemption arc to? Um, I embarrassed my wife. Yeah, I had had an affair with a girl, a woman in in Melbourne. Yeah, that's true. I was away away on tour and um, regretfully that happened. Which would have been, um, would have been a tough place for Phoebe to be. If you were sitting down in in front of the CEOs of the networks right now mm-hmm. and having this conversation around uh, why this is problematic and this culture of giving uh, talent that do have a, a reputation uh, a prime time platform for this sort of said redemption arc, what would you say to them around the long term implications of this? I mean, you, you've got to look at it through the lens of the victim, and I think that's what's often missed here. Yeah, well, the long term implications aren't known yet. As I spoke about before, Channel Ten is now trying to position itself as the network that's progressive and thinks about these things. And they're really putting pressure on marketers and on brands to think about that and to not put their money in these negative places. If that campaign does take off or if the tide turns on consumer sentiment, they will be in trouble. At the moment, the network's bloody love a petition, but if it actually starts to have an impact, they might not. You know, people thought there was no dethroning Alan Jones on radio. He was still the number one broadcaster. However, eventually the economic toll from all these advertiser boycotts, from these consumer campaigns, wasn't worth the risk versus reward ratio anymore. You know, they couldn't justify it from an economic standpoint. If I was in front of all of the uh, CEOs, one thing I would say to them in terms of their casting is if you go to somebody's Wikipedia page and they have an entire section called Domestic Violence, Assault, Arrests, Drug Abuse and Scandals, an entire section, maybe don't put that person on your show. Fine, put the guy on there that has extramarital affair, have the guy on there that maybe, you know, has a a little bit of a drug charge or something a little bit controversial. But if we're ticking domestic violence, assault, arrests, drug abuse and scandals and it's got a whole section, that's the section everybody skips to on Wikipedia. They don't read about your early life. They don't read about your legacy or your playing statistics. They skip straight to the scandal. And if the scandal is that problematic and has that many commas in it, 
maybe just give a platform to somebody else. Doesn't always work out though, does it? Let's have a look at uh, Big Brother, for example, where Katie Hopkins uh, and Kate Jenner appeared. Didn't really get the attention, all the ratings that I think they would have liked. So it doesn't always work. Yeah, well, look, Katie Hopkins, uh, that sort of died before it even started, you know, because she she went so uh, well, she went so Katie Hopkins, didn't she, with her <laughs> with her her hot take on our quarantine system and our approach to COVID and Australia's freedom. And what's interesting there is, I think she should never have been cast. She shouldn't have treated the quarantine hotel staff the way she did. She shouldn't have come here and been so awful about our COVID situation and our COVID response. So I think it was absolutely the right call to not give her a platform on that show. She's also said a host of fat phobic things in in her past, a host of racist things. So it wasn't a surprise that she was carrying on like a pelican, but we gave her the platform anyway. We then took that platform away from her, but again, this is the same network that is about to give Wayne Carey a platform, and he's the one I'm talking about with the domestic violence, assault, arrests, drug abuse and scandals on his Wikipedia. He has a whole section dedicated to allegations against him. So whilst Channel 7 can pretend to be the good guy that, you know, said no to Katie Hopkins, they are the ones that said yes to Katie Hopkins in the first place. They are the one that are giving Wayne Carey a platform you know, there are other celebrities out there. I just, I don't know that they need to sort of lean in so heavily to to these people that are going to get the outrage headlines. It, it just feels so, so unnecessary and, and basic in, in 2021. And I don't think that we've run out of celebrities just yet, Jake, as much as there are a thousand shows out there, I think they could, they could give a platform to far, far better people. All right. Great, uh, great story this week, which I first came across on Twitter, uh, a tweet by Nick Kelly, actually, that read someone in the radio company tried to email support, but accidentally emailed uh, over 2000 employees and it's turned into chaos. That was followed by a whole string of cry emojis uh, from Nick. This is a great story. Yeah, look, so the company in question is Southern Cross Stereo where somebody was just trying to get in touch with tech support to get some support from home. I have no idea how he emailed the entire company. Uh, It's something that has happened at every organisation. I've been on a chain of about 80 people once and that was carnage, that was chaos. So I can only imagine how insane the SCA one was everything from people replying all, telling people to stop replying all, people realising that they knew each other from back in the day, people screaming about the mistake. I don't imagine it was a very productive afternoon uh, when this went down, but gosh, it was a very funny situation that really blew up quite quickly. Imagine that, an email bringing a whole company together. Uh, Tom and Ollie picked it up, who of course hosts nights on the Hit Network, uh, except today FM Sydney, as I understand it. His name was Daniel. They got him on. Uh, it made for some very funny radio. Hey, Daniel, it's Tom and Ollie calling from uh, from the Hit Network. Ollie. Hello, Daniel. Are we on air? <laughs> yeah, we're on air, mate. Yep, yep. Okay. Yep, yep. All right. I've got to be careful what I say because the abuse <laughs> is starting to pour in. Is it? Really? Uh, here's the thing about sending a, an email to 2,193 people. They, yep. they, they actually take it with good grace for about seven minutes. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good, a good, a lot of fun for for a few minutes yeah. there. Memes going back and forth, but what? Then it didn't last uh, that long. You just see the tide started to turn, and um, they've recalled the email. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think 
it's too late. We've all got an email faux pas kind of story though, right? Uh, no, I don't make faux pas, Jake, so I don't have any stories, but I'm sure you have plenty. None for this podcast though. No, but many for my tell-all book that comes out next year. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Uh, I think we'll wrap it there. First episode of That's Entertainment. In the can, as they say. Oh, I don't have anything funny to say to that. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.